0: Welcome to the MarTech
2: Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the trend taking place where companies are directly paying consumers for their data. Joining us is Neil Sweeney, who is the CEO of Kili, which is a privacy-compliant consumer application built on top of blockchain that allows consumers to take back control of their identity from those who have been using it without their knowledge and or consent. And today, Neil is going to talk to us about why companies are paying for their consumers' data. Okay, here's my conversation with Neil Sweeney, CEO of Kili. Neil, welcome to the MarTech podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Excited to talk about not only some interesting technology, but also consumer data and how marketers are using it. Let's start off. You're the CEO of a couple of companies, Kili being one of them. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your work.
1: Well, I guess I fall under the category of serial entrepreneur. So I've been doing this for quite some time. Uh, Freckle is a company that was created about four or five years ago. Its main focus is primarily to provide brands, platforms, and advertisers with a measurement on their media spend so that they can determine whether or not it's effective in driving people into locations. As a byproduct of that, we also provide um, data and targeting segments to those same types of Fortune 500 brands. And then in May of last year, we launched Kili, which is a product underneath the Freckle brand, but it's got a bit of a different slant to it. Its core is, as you mentioned, is it's a consumer application that allows consumers to take back control of their identity slash data. And should a brand or a platform actually want to participate or actually purchase that data, they're actually buying it directly from the consumer as opposed to buying it from um, a third party, which has been the normal course of business over the last 10 to 15 years. It's an interesting
2: juxtaposition of two companies. One is about the collection and distribution of data, and the other one is about providing consumers with the protections and allowing them to have control of where their data goes, which kind of seems like you're playing both sides of the fence and you're making money off the transition and distribution and usage of data, but you're also making it a little harder for brands to get access to that data. So it seems like those two brands are competing concepts. Why work on both companies?
1: Because I choose to disrupt my own businesses before the market decides to do it for me. I think that's something that I have subscribed to my entire life. And I think, for us, is that we know what the weaknesses or the gaps are in the industries that you support. So ultimately, you're right. We are playing both sides of the fence here. And we're doing so because Freckle is a company that is dependent upon data. And we don't own the monopoly on that. There's literally thousands of companies today who actually rely on data to make various different decisions. When we looked out across the landscape, for us, what we we thought was Fundamentally, things are changing as it relates to data, data collection, privacy, consumer awareness, all these various different macro trends. And when we looked at our business, we said, okay, well, if you own a business, what you're supposed to be doing is you want to grow top line, you want to manage expenses, and you should be mitigating the biggest risks to your business. Well, anybody who is operating in the data business today, the single biggest risk that they have is a fundamental change to the way in which privacy or the way in which data is actually being collected. And so we felt that if data goes to the equivalent of like hell in a handbasket and there's no data, then how are we going to run our measurement platform? So ultimately what we decided to do is, well, let's create a seed. Like let's create an application or let's create an ecosystem where ultimately we can give these consumers back control of their data and we can be the first client. So we're the first client. We actually are the first buyers of data from the individuals of Kili. And as a byproduct of that, we mitigated our biggest risk inside of Freckle. By mitigating our risk, what we realized was that well, if we can mitigate our risk and our exposure to that market, then ultimately we should be able to solve that same risk for any other brand, platform, or company that also has the same issue as it relates to the data. So you're right. It is playing a little bit of both sides, but I think the best way to think about it is we're playing offense on challenges to any business in the data space. And we think that by doing so, we can solve our problems as well as everybody else's.
2: If it makes you feel better, I feel like I'll include myself in this category Marketers, I think, are playing both sides of the fence when it comes to data. And personally, I am concerned about how my data is being used and what's being collected, mostly as I do more and more of these MarTech podcasts and learn more about how mobile app IDs can be used so people know when and where and what you're doing and the notion of event and location data and how much data can be collected with consent, but not necessarily knowledge. That's kind of a terrifying prospect. And on the flip side, as a marketer on some fundamental level, I make a living off of getting access to data and being able to target the right person. And there's some creative components to this, being able to figure out what the right message is and getting somebody through a website or a conversion funnel. But I'm reliant on data and on a personal level, a little concerned about how the data is being collected and used. And let's talk a little bit about the consumer side first. Your brand, Kili, enables people to essentially take control of their data and be able to monetize it without going through things like Facebook or any of the social platforms or Google. How are you able to control your data? How are you able to gain that control back? And what's the reason why you should sell it to a brand?
1: Okay. There's a lot to unpack there regarding the conflict between being a marketer and data. I think you shouldn't have to compromise. The marketing industry works on data. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Ultimately, the way in which we're collecting data is fundamentally changing. Marketers, brands, and platforms just need to be able to include the consumer moving forward because that's the trend. And when you look at that consumer, the reality is is most consumers have no comprehension as to what data is being collected, what the value of that data is, how that data is being used, etc., And there is a value proposition when you go to a website where, by me being able to go to the NFL.com, for instance, or any other website, I'm permitted to go on that website in exchange for me giving data to that platform so that they can actually put advertising on top of that to monetize. Everybody generally loosely understands that value proposition. But I think what's happened over the last number of years is that people haven't communicated to the consumer that the actual value prop has changed. Is that it looks very similar on the front end, but what's happened is your ability as a consumer to consume content is finite. So the amount of hours in the day and the amount of hours that you can watch movies, browse the web, et cetera, is finite. Whereas the ability for people to consume, store, arbitrage data on you in perpetuity is not. So what's happening is you have this massive accumulation of data on the back end. And with that in mind, what we're finding is because there is this habit amongst marketers where increasingly the more granular the information, the more valuable the information, marketers, brands, platforms are increasingly getting more private. So you're now way past that gray area and you're accumulating all this very personal information and it's getting transacted in the back end. So... When you look at these major platforms, whether it be Facebook, whether it be some of the bigger DMPs, the reality is, is that it's an amalgamation of years and years of your data that's being arbed to thousands of individual advertisers. You as a consumer inside of Facebook in North America, you're worth about $25 to $30 a month, growing 35% a year. When you take that, multiply it against the thousands of individual companies that are using your data, it's not that difficult to get to you know, an average value of anywhere from $350 to $500. Go to the average consumer and say, hey, you're worth $350 to $500 a month from a data perspective. You're getting nothing. And all these other companies are literally making billions of dollars and see how that works. So we felt as it related to the data set of the equation that there was nobody that was really kind of educating the consumer around that. And there was nobody including the consumer in that value prop. Nobody would suggest that the consumer should get $350 or $500, but I think nobody would also suggest that the consumer should get zero. So somewhere in the middle between the 100% value and 0%, the consumer should be getting something. And so we felt that consumers should be in the equation. They ultimately should have some say as to how their data is being used. And I think like what we really believe, though, is that you know, as it relates to data and monetization, monetization is one thing that you can do when you control your data. It's not everything. It's one thing.
2: So you talked about monetization as something that you can do with your data. If I'm willing to give you information about myself, I can make a little coin. I can make some money. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost effective. What are some of the other things that you can do with your data?
1: Well, things such as authentication is one. There was a lot of news around the Apple login as it being competitive with Google Connect or being able to uh, Facebook Connect or logging in with your Google address. And I think you and all your listeners would know is that you can sign into a website using your Facebook address or your Google address. And all that's really happening is that it's allowing Google to actually accumulate information on you outside of their walled garden. Same with Facebook. Apple came into the market a couple of weeks ago and basically said, well, we're going to do the same thing, but it's going to be more private. So what they're doing with those types of things from an authentication point of view is they're validating that you are who you are. Well, what if you actually had that deterministic persona sitting inside of a profile that was controlled by you, i.e. Killy? So what are they looking for? They're looking for a validated email address. They're looking for age. They're looking for gender. They're looking for whatever it is, government issued ID. They're validating that it's you. So I think like once you actually start to put data underneath the consumer's control, you start to solve a bunch of things. Yes, you can monetize it. Secondly, why can't I log into Facebook using Kili Authentication or Spotify using Kili Authentication? Why do I have to use Facebook? Why do I have to use a third party to authenticate in with my own data? That's crazy. And just last week, we saw a situation again where Capital One gets hacked. And I think this is the same thing that nobody else really wants to talk about is that when you store data today, in a centralized spot, and you store it underneath a security protocol, you're basically asking to get hacked. So the only way that the hacking is ever going to stop in the future is if you actually distribute the data. And if you're going to distribute the data, why wouldn't you distribute it back to its rightful source, that being the consumer? If you do that, you solve all the problems in the market. You solve privacy, you solve security, you solve consent, all of them.
2: So I understand the interest from a consumer perspective for the desire to be able to protect your data, right? To be able to say what you're telling companies. And the concern that I have is, you know, there are utilities that a lot of people really want. People love using Google. They love Facebook for the most part. Instagram, they love. Facebook seems like a necessary evil these days, but they're putting more and more information about themselves and about their search history into these digital platforms and then using some of these tools for sign-in, finding other pieces of utility, and there is value out of that. And if you take away the value exchange from giving your data for this service then consumers are going to end up being charged for those services, right? There's still going to be a need for a social network. So no, no, no,
1: is that not true? Yeah, that's not going to happen. So it's like, that's the Sheryl Sandberg bullshit argument, which is we're going to start charging you for accessing Facebook. That's ridiculous. Like you can go to Facebook today, you can go to the settings, you can download 15 years worth of your Facebook data, put it into an 80 meg JSON file that's sitting on your computer. Don't tell me, that you need that data to actually run Facebook day to day. That's crap, like it's just not true. It's like everybody understands that there's a base level value exchange between the publisher, the platform and the consumer. The problem though is that it's a bait and switch because the publisher, the platform or the social network is not being truthful as to how much data they're collecting. They don't need all of that data to actually allow you onto the platform. Ultimately, when you're Facebook and you have 2.2 billion users and you do $100 billion, $100 billion in top line, you have $40 billion a year in EBITDA. You're going to tell me that you, quote unquote, need the data? That's crazy. You have $40 billion in profits off of those 2.2 billion people. You clearly are doing just fine. I think the idea is, is that people are okay with sharing data. I think all the user groups, everything that we've done with the individual users is that they're okay with it. The thing that consumers hate is when you mislead them and you tell them that and you don't tell them the data that you're collecting. That drives them nuts. If you said to them, hey, if you come on this service, you need to provide us A, B, C, and D. And if you provide us even more than that, we're going to give you more features or we're going to give you something in return other than the content. People would happily do that. But there's this perpetual aggregation of data with no communication to the consumer. And ultimately, that's the ticking time bomb. That's ultimately going to happen. So, no, I don't necessarily believe that there has to be this quote unquote charging. The value proposition needs to be re centered. I think that's ultimately what needs to happen.
2: So, I don't think we're disagreeing. I do think that you're saying, hey, there is some sort of fundamental value exchange that needs to happen. And where you're taking issue is with the amount of data that's being collected. I was more philosophically saying if consumers at large take their data away from a platform, then the platform can no longer function as an advertiser. Facebook, using them as an example, cannot target everybody that's on the platform without some level of baseline data. Now, they're collecting data that people are unaware that they are collecting, right? They're leaving on location settings and being able to track their every move and All sorts of things that maybe the average consumer, my mom, my dad, probably don't know that when they're going to the movies, Facebook knows what movie they probably went to. That's a little creepy. Yeah. Right. Then that's maybe an extreme example. And I'm not to highlight Facebook as the only company that does this, but they're the prime example of data privacy issues, but they're collecting a mass amount of data and people don't necessarily understand what they're collecting and who they're sharing it with.
1: Yeah, I would argue though, as well, Facebook's easy to pick on, but there's plenty of companies that are doing stuff that's just as bad. Like There's banks out there that are arbitraging credit card purchase data and actually selling that back into the market, unbeknownst to consumers. The loyalty cards are probably by far and away like the biggest sellers of that data. Charities, when you sign up and you donate to a charity, a lot of those guys are selling data out the back door too. So it's easy to pick on Facebook. But ultimately, I think what's a bit of a disease in the space right now is this sort of this bait and switch specifically around we're accumulating the data for one reason, but then we're actually using the data for 15 other reasons that we're not telling you. And ultimately, I think that's what's gotten the up of all the regulators around the world, which is like, hey, no one is suggesting that you can't do this, but you have to be a little bit more open. You have to communicate a little bit more with the consumers. And ultimately, that's part of where what we think the future is, is that I don't think it's going to happen. And I say this all the time, but I think the privacy genie's out of the bottle. But I don't think that it's going to continue to be a black box where consumers just say, you know what, take as much data as you want, make as much data from me as you can, uh, no problem as long as I have access to these various platforms. That's just not going to happen. And I think everything from the US election to the privacy laws to consumer awareness, all these things are kind of pushing forward this general awareness. And so ultimately, what we think is going to happen is that If you look at some of the more progressive companies in the world, they're all going to put privacy front and center of their strategy. I mean, you've got companies that are talking about removing plastic straws in favor of paper straws because they think that's ethical. But if you don't think including consumers in the data decision, that should be part of that kind of ethical treatment of a strategy. I mean, we think that all the big CPG brands are going to start to include the consumer as part of their data decisions. And we think that in a year or two that it's going to be common, which is everybody's going to have more awareness around data. The value exchange is going to be somewhat modified. It's not going to be this black box. Consumers are going to have a little bit more control. But ultimately, this notion of pushing the actual data and some of the control back to the consumer is the only way that you're going to solve privacy and consent. And it's the only way you're going to solve security. So the only reason it's not moving faster is because you've got companies that have been around for 15 to 20 years aggregating data on legacy architecture that are not really structured to do that the next great companies in the space will be companies that are going to upset that and actually fundamentally change that. That's what I think is going to happen.
2: So from a marketer's perspective, what is your advice to be able to collect data in an appropriate fashion? And then on the flip side, from a consumer's perspective, what are the things that you can do to make sure that your data is being used appropriately or isn't somewhere that you don't want it to be?
1: So I would say on the brand side, What I do think is, by and large, most brands want to play of our board. I think the challenge for them right now is that they're struggling with a lot of this new privacy legislation. And so what I say to all brands when I walk into the room is, okay, so what's the plan for January 2020 when half the US states have this privacy law, which is going to require you to have explicit consent in order to use the data? Usually crickets in the room when that happens.
2: Isn't it just GDPR where you get a million emails saying, hey, by the way, we're changing our privacy policy?
1: Yeah, kind of. But I think the challenge in the United States is that it's not federal, it's state level. So as a state level, you're going to have 50 plus individual states with different governors running around with different rules and regulations. Good luck managing that. It's going to be in a logistical gong show for anybody who's got to deal with data. And that's a problem. And this isn't three years out. This is five months out. I had conversations over the last few days, even with other big data firms. And I've said to them, which is, what's the plan? And in the U.S., there is a very laissez-faire attitude around being aggressive and moving towards sort of this consent framework, and it's gonna bite them in the ass. Like, I, I, I don't think that there's any situation where that doesn't happen. So what I say to brands and platforms is, you need to play offense on this. So it's not about throwing away all the data that you have, throwing away all the platforms that you have, throwing away all the vendors that you're working with, but you need to have a proactive approach to this where you are onboarding data with consent is if the answer is, is that you're going to start doing that in January, you're going to end up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal selling tied to single moms in Atlanta on data that is illegal. Good luck. That's your worst case nightmare. So that's not the best case scenario for any major brand.
2: So tell me about the consumer side. How can me as a person and the rest of the marketers listening as independent people make sure that their data and their customers' data are not inappropriately being used?
1: Well, I think what's happening is that, generally speaking, is that there's more and more awareness from consumers. So every time that there's a data hack, any time that there's a platform, whether it's an image recognition application, there's increasingly more and more awareness. And I think the media has done a good job about kind of highlighting this. So slowly but surely, consumers are increasingly becoming aware. I think a lot of this stuff from a consumer perspective is actually being done for them. So what you're seeing whether it's from the operating systems of Apple and Android, or even from smart speakers or from social networks, et cetera, is that they're starting to clamp down on things like that. They're starting to say, you can't use location always on, or we're going to stop listening in the background, these various different things. So I think a lot of the operating systems are doing that stuff. From a consumer point of view, just being aware of what you're enabling from a settings perspective, I think that slowly but surely as consumers become more aware those types of things are going to change.
2: Lots of ground that we covered. I think that the data business and the privacy regulation that's coming down is fascinating to think about both from a personal and a marketing perspective. And we're going to continue the conversation with Neil tomorrow about this same topic. So that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to Neil Sweeney, CEO of Kili, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Neil and I are going to talk about some of the best practices and most ethical practice you can use for blending offline and online data. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Neil, you can click the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Neil Sweeney, CEO. That's N-E-I-L-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y, CEO. Or you can visit his company's website, which is Kili.io, K-I-L-L-I.io. Just one link in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We have summaries of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, get our content delivered to your inbox. You can also send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could also reach out on social media. My handle is BenJShap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast, feed. In addition to part two of our conversation with Neil Sweeney, the CEO of Killy, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.